This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Maine. And before we jump into episode eight with Danielle Earl, um, just a couple feelings. I just want to talk about some feelings I'm having. Last week, I think it was, I joined a Facebook community group called Black Podcasters Unite. Shout out to everybody in that group. And uh, man, in this two weeks, the amount of support and love and just helpfulness that have I've received, not just me directly, but that I've also witnessed through the back and forth chats on both the Facebook group and uh, we have a Twitter group as well, uh, has been amazing. And so I really wanted to shout them out. And I, I haven't I haven't gotten to everybody yet, but there's a few of y'all who I am listening to and um, hope to kind of be able to plug your podcast down the line. Um, first one that comes to the top of my head is a single simulcast with Derek Jones. He, um, I think he started the group and actually he and I went to high school together, but we didn't know each other. Uh, that was just something random we discovered. And uh, Mocha Minutes, that is also another podcaster in that group, and she's pretty awesome. And so check out those shows. Uh, sorry to all the other ones who I haven't named, but I'm still trying to get to your podcast. Geek Philosophy, uh, Stays Crunchy in Milk, I think is one of them. Um, Ungentrified, um, by Black. So yeah, I'm trying to work my way through all of those podcasts and, and trying to shout them out to folks. So if you are listening to this show and you want to find new podcasts to listen to, those ones that I named, you can check them out on iTunes or Stitcher and Google Play, SoundCloud, whatever. Subscribe, rate, and review for them because not only are they delivering podcasts out to the world, they are also being super supportive of other Black podcasters. And I just want to shout out to all of them. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess like I can't believe that this summer is almost over and how insanely fast it went by. We launched uh, Black Radical Queer, the, f- the first podcast that kind of dropped under Main Hustle Media banner on June it was either 26th or 29th, whatever the last Wednesday of June was. And we launched the first episode of Militantly Mixed on July 5th. And then just last week, Blurred Vision and I decided to create an entirely new podcast in the Militantly Mixed family uh, called The Black as Fuck Edition that dropped last week. Um, episode one of that of that show is episode seven of this show. So go ahead and check it out. Um, that was sort of the original vision. That version of the show is sort of the original vision that Blurred Vision <laughs> and I had when we were first talking about doing Militantly Mixed. Um, but as you've heard several times, we had schedule conflicts. We couldn't really make it work when I was finally had time and was ready to do Militantly Mixed. So I, I ended up launching the interview version of the show, which is given me so much life. Getting a chance to connect with all these mixed race people around the world has been insane. I mean, we're only in episode eight, but I'm actually on like interview 17 um, or individual 17. But I've talked to some of these people multiple times um, and these new relationships that I've been lucky enough to form as a result of the podcast has been crazy. Um, I have been getting 
messages on Twitter and Instagram, um, a couple of emails, but it's usually Twitter and Instagram, uh, Facebook as well. People who have listened to the show and have said, you know, the show has really helped them feel seen or now they realize that they're not very, they're not actually alone in the world, that they're not something, you know, that there's other people like them. And uh, a couple of them have choked me up. I'm not going to lie. There's one in particular this week. She reached out to me on Twitter. I'm not going to drop her name, but she sent me a lengthy explanation about her background and how different it, it was from anything she's heard on the show so far, but that the show has really resonated with her. And um, I mean, I just, I'm grateful that people are taking the time to even listen to the show, let alone actually send me these, you know, beautiful messages about the impact the show is having on them and telling me about their, their background. So that leads me to my plea, which is if you have or have not reached out to me yet, but you are a fan of the show and the show is giving you something, uh, please reach out to me and come on the show. Um, we got we got to tell these stories. We need representation. We are an extremely under underrepresented group in media and and everything in jobs, <laughs> in positions of power, stuff like that. So so uh, that's what we're doing the show for. We're trying to push representation for mixed race people. We're trying to help mixed race people not feel alone in the world. And just because in your pocket there's not many people that look like you or are mixed like you, they are out there in the world and they're um, they're ready to hear your story, just like you've been ready to hear theirs. So if you are interested in coming on the show and sharing your stories with us, hit me up on email at charmaine at militantlymixed.com. And that's S as in Sam, H-A-R-M-A-N-E at militantlymixed.com. Um, so send me an email and we can get set up so that we can have a Skype interview to share your stories. Um, that's how I'm doing it. You don't even have to leave your house. Uh, that's how I talked to Mixed Up Mama in the UK and a future episode, James, in Vienna. Um, I got another interview coming up in the UK this week. Let's see, I've talked to people all over the United States so far. Canada with John Corbin in our first episode. So it's, it doesn't have to be an inconvenience. It's just an hour of your time on Skype with me talking about being mixed. So if you're interested, please hit me up. Um, also continue to send me messages through Twitter and Instagram and Facebook because that is keeping me going and keeping me on the right path because this is a it's a show for you and I want you to get what you need out of it. And don't forget that Militantly Mix is a fan-sponsored show. So if the show is giving you life or you are getting something out of it and you want to help keep us going, you can go to Patreon, www.patreon.com slash Militantly Mix, where you can subscribe for monthly sponsorship for as low as a dollar a month to as high as whatever you want. You'll have access to exclusive or early content and show swag. As the show develops, I'll get more stuff on there. Um, but all your donations will help us with hosting fees, help us improve our equipment over time, things like that. Um, there is also, we finally did get a, a PayPal donate me button, uh, which I've had a few people reach out to me on Twitter and Instagram about. So thank you for actually even asking how to give us money. That's amazing. Um, but that address is paypal.me slash militantly mixed. So if you want to give us a one-time donation to keep us going, that is paypal.me slash militantly mixed. All right. 
think that's enough. Uh, let's get into the episode. So this episode is, I got to speak with Danielle Earl, who is a film producer in the greater New York area. She's one of the early people that I got to speak with. So um, this is actually an interview that was recorded in June. And it actually does feel like an interview, a little bit more question and answery than some of my most recent conversations. And as y'all know, I have been playing these um, interviews sort of out of order. So this is also one from before I think I even had any equipment yet. I think I was just going off of my um, my headphones and my laptop. I was still like laying in my bed with a chair pillow and a TV dinner tray that I had my laptop on, my cats are running around. Um, so, you know, sometimes there's some audio things and it's hella loud or whatever, but um, what I was, I needed to dig myself out of that non-creative hole. So we started the podcast before we had shit to start it with. Danielle is amazing to talk to. She focuses or a lot of the work that she has done, things that she has produced do have some sort of a, um, you know, diversity or inclusion aspect to them. You know, those are the projects that she becomes passionate about. She's actually the person who also connected me to Melissa Guzman from episode two uh, on their series Complexity. Danielle is one of the producers on that show. And uh, Melissa Guzman is the writer director. Um, So Danielle is great. We talk about all kinds of stuff related to, you know, her background and um, film production, things like that, which is something she and I share in common. It was just good. It's just a good old talk. And actually, it was a super long talk. So I cut out big old portion out of it because I'm going to use that for a later episode. But for now, here is a more reasonably timed interview with producer Danielle Earl. Enjoy. excited to get a chance to talk to you again, Danielle. I really appreciate you coming on to the show with me. I know that you are extremely busy and we'll talk about all the stuff that you're working on right now. But first, let's do just a little bit of a self-introduction. Tell us about your, your background, your origin, and what being mixed race means to you. Well, first and foremost, I want to tell you, thank you so much for having me on your awesome show and like and everything. I'm like <laughs> so blown about what you're doing and like the people that are like interviewed before me so <laughs> but um, I'm actually basically a you know filmmaker uh, director you know writer producer um, originally from New York uh, from Bronx New York uh, but I currently reside in New Jersey um, and and yeah in, and especially with my um, my origin my family background um, it's very mixed uh, my basically from my mother's side uh, it's like East Indian uh, and uh, and West Indian also um, father is originally from Jamaica Kingston Jamaica uh, and also um, my mother she's originally from here um, but her her brother was originally from Trinidad mm. um, my grandmother was from Trinidad and she was white you know uh, so and also my great grandmother was Irish uh, so that's you know a part of me too you know our family background um, I never so, even yeah. think about white Caribbean folk yeah like I know they were <laughs> still lingering people there but i never think about them being there <laughs> 
it's true. Oh my god! And if you go to like Florida, like um, grandmother, you know, I remember when I was younger. Oh, we went to like you know get some patties, you know, at like a you know a nearby uh, Golden Crust, and there was actually you know there's like a white um, white and uh, Asian uh, you know Trinidadian or not Trinidadian uh, Jamaican. It was just talking to Jamaican, you know, huh. this whole language and and speech, and I was like kind of you know like take it back to because i've never seen <laughs> that type of thing before but you know it's so diverse over there that a lot yeah. of people don't see, you know besides the commercials that come out for like jamaica so as you were growing up what was your like what did you understand about your mixedness given that you had a caucasian grandmother and you know blue eyes and everything but your family was was a mix of east indian and west indian and trinidadian like what what did you think of as as a young person what your identity was or yeah, I guess, um, you know, with me, it's like it was it's kind of been an, like an ever changing or just like discovery, um, because when I was younger, you know, I really, you know, we didn't really see color or anything. So we we're just like, ah, you know, grandma, this is the way she is. And I grew up with her. And but later, you know, when I was like older, um, I would say maybe in high school or getting, you know, older than that, um, I discovered, you know, that my my great grandmother, you know, was uh, Irish. Um, you know, we had family out there and you know, my father, uh, we didn't really talk about because he you know passed away at a young age uh you know relatively Mm. you know know, young guy and um Mm. and my mom you know kind of had to raise you know not sort of raise herself but she grew up very quickly you know and uh i would say by the age of 16 and um you know growing up with my mother so she kind of started to discover things too like she didn't even know that she had a sister you know until she was like in her 20s Mm. almost (laughs) that that you know she had a sister that's like in trinidad and you know was raised by you know a family out there and, you know, my grandmother wasn't able to be there for her or, or send her papers to come to the U.S. And, you know, it was very sad that, you know, what people had to go through during that time. And um, and also know, not broke. talk about it. Yeah. You know, yeah. That too. you know, it's like my mom was like kind of OK with it. You know, it's like but imagine if you come up with a different generation, you know, kids would kind of freak out, you know, a little bit more vocal <laughs> right. to kind of like discover all these different things and, um, you know, about their family. Um, so, yeah, you know, it was like an eye opener. Did you I remember you saying something about I think it was uh, in Baltimore or moving to New Jersey. There was something about um, someone seeing your grandmother and being like, is that really your grandmother? Yeah. Oh, that was um, it was I would say because I was in maybe high school around that time Um, because or no, not high school. I would say like in middle school, younger. Because my grandmother would come, you know, if we had like, uh, you know, any functions or anything like that at the school graduation. And so people would be like, you know, kind of like stunned to be like, you know, that's my grandmother, you know, with the blue eyes and everything. <laughs> and like, you know, it's just because they because, you know, the neighborhood that I grew up in, you know, in Oakland, New Jersey and Burton County, um, barely, you know, at that time, like the 90s were barely any black families living in the town. It was like very, um. you know, if you were like a black family, you lived near the, the river type area, which because they were just very like segregated in a way but my mom was kind of like you know a rebel she came to like the states from new york and she was looking around for houses and i remember that you know she was telling me the story that the realtor showed her all these houses are you know by the river down there you know because they had flooding and you know she was like no I, you know she went to look at the other house and it wasn't on his listing or whatever and she was like you know i want to look at this house this is the house that i want this is the one i'm gonna get <laughs> and, and it was like and at that time people were like oh you know this family black family living on the corner mm. 
mm-hmm. you know, type thing. And, and she was, you know, very vocal in terms of like politics and, and all that other stuff and getting, you know, talking about more um, starting a, even a black, uh, basically like an alliance or a black group that people should go door to door with the other black families and try to save ways to kind of, you know, help with the community and everything. Mm. And um, yeah, and it was and that was during the time um, Al Sharpton came in, in early, I would say like the late 80s or like early 90s. He actually came up to over here because of, there was a lot of black, you know, and white issues that were going on. And he was very vocal about it, you know, and right. it's like, yeah. So like, you know, I don't know what during that time, the 90s, they're more like radical. Um, but yeah, you know, that's kind of like the, I kind of went on the tangent, but that's, you know, what I've experienced, you know, with that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So did you ever feel that you had a crisis of identity or something like, you know, some mixed kids do? Or did you feel pretty comfortable with just how diverse your family was? You didn't really have to question that you were mixed. And more than anything, it was people's reactions to you versus your own sense of it. Yeah, you know, I would say, you know. In the community that I lived in, it, um, I remember one time I was uh, like in Girl Scouts. You know, I was young. I didn't even you know know about these things about segregation or anybody feeling you know mm-hmm. feeling different from everybody. And I never even knew about it until my mom told me. You know, later on that um, you know we, we went to like Horses Back Ranch. It was like this um, uh, you know like trip that we went on. And um, so all the girls, you know, they stayed in like uh, either like a hotel or a cabin type thing. And uh, one of the parents um, talked to uh, like the other mother saying that I don't feel comfortable having Danielle in the room with my other kid. And they were all like, mm. I was the only black kid that was there. And, you know, and, and my mom, you know, she heard about it like later after the fact, like her, and one of her friends spoke up. I said, well, I feel comfortable with Danielle being in the room. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, what is your problem? Yeah, you know, with wow. her? Yeah. And it was so like, it was just that kind of like subtle type thing. And like, you know, um, oh yeah. I, I mean, I could tell you stories even with my, you know, my brother growing up too, when he was in you know, teenager and in high school, and and he actually uh, there was a girl that was Italian that liked my brother, and you know wanted him to come to the prom with her, and you know he was a junior, and um, the father was very polite and everything, and he would say said, well, I don't feel comfortable having any pictures or anything like that on my wall mm. or anything like, so yeah, and he <laughs> like called family, and he was very nice, you know, and he still you see him, you know, later on in the supermarket say hello, and this is how it was, and it's like it's sad that you know it was like that. Right. And, you know, and it's like seems like it's not much of a difference or they're not shy about being overtly racist, which I used to always say, like, I would rather my races be overt and out in front of your face so that you knew which ones you didn't have to worry about them because you knew exactly who they were. But I'm getting to the point. It's so overt now that, you know, even people running for Congress are saying, you know, saying things like the Holocaust never existed and mm-hmm. black people are all have sub brains and shit like that. And I'm thinking, what year are we in? <laughs> I'm starting to miss the days when subtle racism was the thing and not the overt stuff because it's it's just shocking how backwards it feels that it's going right now. So would you say that that was probably your first experience with racism? The the mothers not wanting to yeah, be in the don't, Yeah, it's, and I think, and the thing is, it didn't trigger me because I was so young, you know, thinking right. about it, you know, and, and I, you know, just kind of did my own thing and I was, you know, to me, you know, going to, I remember one year I lived in Florida for like one year and um, then I had family out there, um, but I went back to, you know, New Jersey and everything but um, it was all totally different it was more um, Hispanic, more, you know, black that mm-hmm. went to the, the school, high school. And, you know, I was, you know, grew up in predominantly like white neighborhood and, you know, the type of music and the type of influence I've had is very different from like somebody, you know, upbringing in the culture of black culture and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. when I came to like, you know, that area, it was kind of like, 
you know, you felt like a kind of like disconnect, but at the same time, there's a little bit more acceptance, I think, you mm. know, in that way, because, the, you know, of your makeup and, you know, and I remember hanging out, all my friends were, you know, Hispanic. I said, you know, I, hang, I hung out in that type of crowd and, um, and I, and I just, you know, I felt very comfortable and, you know. Did people um, think it, of you as Afro-Latina? Because that's of the way you hung out thing too. <laughs> I think so. And it's very strange. I do have, you know, and that's another thing. I do have like um, a family member that's, you know, Cuban. So we did have that kind of like, you know, Cuban influence. And, and you know, and she also spoke the language and, you know, um, especially with family gatherings and everything. So um, it was just a very, you know, diverse, you know, family, you know, that, that mm-hmm. kind of brought us attention to all different types of cultures and um, that we were kind of influenced on. So, um, yes. So I felt kind of like connection with a lot of times. <laughs> it's funny how it kind of like resonates to the projects that I'm working on now right, yeah. and everything else. Like, you know, um, yeah. So it's funny because uh, and this is something I'm probably going to end up saying on every single episode. So I apologize to the people listening that they're going to keep hearing it. Uh, but in my case, you know, I was raised more more black than anything else culturally Japanese when I was at home with my mother's side. But, you know, other than that. Or even with my mother, if I wasn't in my Japanese house, I was raised more around black people. So I feel more black. Um, but because I present in this sort of ambiguously Asian Latin kind of coloring and, and look, uh, a lot of times people thought I was Dominican or, or Puerto Rican, especially if they're from the East Coast. They think I'm Dominican or Puerto Rican. If they're on the West Coast, they think I'm Mexican or Filipino. And and so I would get this thing with people that if I didn't speak Spanish, I'd get this kind of reaction like, why don't you speak Spanish? And I was like, well, I'm not Spanish. <laughs> And then it would almost be an offense like, well, shouldn't you be proud that you look like us? And I'm like, well, I mean, I look like me. I don't know. (laughs) Like, I'm proud of what I am. But I I always wondered if just because of uh, some of the areas where you do kind of blend or look a lot like the people that are surrounding you, even though you're not necessarily made up with the same things, if you're just kind of assumed or if you're (laughs) embraced or or if you're because you don't speak Spanish or something like that, would you maybe be kind of on the outside of that? Yeah, it's it's weird. It's like, you know, I don't speak. That's the thing. I only know a certain uh, language because I was a teacher, you know, back in the day. So in terms of like, you know, talking, I had I used to have like maybe like it was 70 percent of, you know, Hispanic in, at the school that I went to. Mm-hmm. And it was bilingual, you know, and um, they didn't have teachers. They didn't uh, have translators. So I had to basically like <laughs> teach an art class on my own with all these different things, projects and everything like that. And just like hoping that, you know, we could connect and, and for me to you know learn. Mm-hmm. And um, um, and I would just, you know, the only thing, you know, I was taught, I was like, silencio. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, what you needed. Like, all like, you know, because I would have classes of like 35, 40 kids in one oh, classroom. Man. And we would have like mergers of different classes. And so it was, you know, insane. Um, but, you know, uh, but I, I, you know, I felt that connection in terms of the culture and everything. <laughs> and just being up from my family, you know, background, I think, too. I think it has to do with like the island thing, because you have like a West Indian type thing. And it's like mm-hmm. those type of cultures kind of, you know, have the same, you know, upbringing, I think, like family unit. And it's sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. Um, well, that kind of segues into a little bit about like the kind of projects that you are working on uh, in terms of your your production experience. Um, 
have you, did you kind of or always sort of work on projects that tended to have some sort of racial bend to it or something? Or is that just kind of what's happening right now in your life because of what's going yeah, on? That's a good question. Like, I would say it's, um, it's kind of happening now more like in the beginning it, with Brooklyn is a love. I, you know, I remember when I first did the first season and, you know, I was like, some of the fil- filmmakers were like, oh, you know, um, it needs to be like more diverse. It needs to be more characters. Like, I was so criticized by you know if i was like a you know white person writing this project i don't think they would say ask me that same question because like it's been going on for how many years and like we haven't criticized any yeah. like filmmakers like diversity is when you add a brunette yeah. <laughs> into, right. the, into the mix <laughs> and, you know and, and that's the thing it's like and then um you know but to me i feel like you know uh there's a project or not a project but there's um that tv show um i actually saw the documentary and it's like a horrible show if you watch it now it's like so offensive but it's uh married with children you know i grew up right i grew up with it too and um there's a black guy who was the creator of it he had a bat cowboy hat if you go look online i did not know that yeah (laughs) i didn't see the other guy so there's like two writers on the show but i think it was him who kind of was the push on it and he had to get like a white writer with him to kind of get it on fox and stuff but he was the creator of the show did he write it for a black family and they put a white trash no. family in there or did he no. write it for white people? Um, there was like a documentary. I believe it was on, um, I saw it on cable. It was like on CNN or when they did those like behind the scenes type thing. And we're just talking about the show because it was so iconic. But um, yeah. And he said that, you know, he wanted to make it about like a white family. And, you know, he was talking about the whole development and the characters <laughs> and the actors. Yep. And like, you never saw his face. You never knew that this was the guy who wrote this, you know, big show. <laughs> if you go, um, even if you type out with Mary Trojan and put like the creators of it, you'll see a photo of him. And he's kind of like an odd, you know, you know, <laughs> guy, but he has like cowboy hide on, you know, like suspenders and like that. Like, he's just, <laughs> yeah, and this writer, you know, it was like big time. We've made a lot of money from that, you know, show. And, um, and so, yeah, and he kind of created this whole development. I thought that was like, wow. I mean, now that I see that angle from it, I thought it was just a white person writing this storyline. Right. It's like a black perspective showing this struggling, you know, family. Huh. And, um, you know, and I think that, you know, in some ways, that's kind of like a brilliant thing to kind of show having a black writer or having, you know, somebody talk about that type of thing and having a whole, you know, if you have a whole white cast or half white cast and, you know, have diversity there. Um, I think that kind of opens more doors, too, because, you know, that so people automatically assume that we can't write for like white characters or we yeah. can only stay in our one box type thing. You know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. You know. We can only do urban yeah, you know, yeah. street hood. There's there's not just a regular old middle class something that would even be more accessible to a middle class white family with what mm-hmm. would just so happens to have black people there versus like something urban, which is what they would expect of. Oh, of totally, and, totally, and even with like you know Shonda Rhimes and stuff. Like for years, we didn't even know who like Shonda Rhimes was. Like for the first two seasons, or maybe the second season, you know, until it started getting you know popular and people started to catch on. Then we saw photos of her, and she's been in like the business for so many years like yeah. writing for all these different characters and you know in Grey's Anatomy I mean it, you had maybe you know one black ca- or t- a couple black characters and then you had the Asian you know ca- uh, character and mm-hmm. you know th- so it was like wow you kind of saw the person creator of this show and it was beautifully written it didn't have any you know ethnic type you know yeah. type, <laughs> to 
technology <laughs> with the black characters. They didn't come from the hood or anything. They were all like intelligent doctors that were working at this hospital. And, you know, and that's something that, you know, I kind of strive for. And I try to, um, you know, with projects that all the different projects, even with Jade of the New York Effects, Complexity, or even, um, yeah, Haunted Mind Insomniac, I always want to try to show, you know, the dialogue and everything like that, showing people this is what it is. And mm-hmm. this is kind of black culture and this is how we talk. We don't talk like all, you know, your image of what we are on television is like horrible. <laughs> right. Kind of I will you know? say something that I'm excited that uh, Shonda did. Um, and I didn't actually watch Grey's Anatomy. I think I've seen only a couple episodes because like a friend of mine was an actor on it or something like that for an episode. But I did start watching How to Get Away with Murder. And one of my favorite things that ever happened was that Viola went to bed with a head wrap. Whoa. I'm saying, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember that episode. She kind of just like, you know. Yeah. And it's like she would go from her, you know nice put together wig and the next thing you say she's in a head wrap and then she gets mad she pops that sucker off and it's just her natural hair and I'm like America <laughs> look <laughs> look at what is happening <laughs> you never seen that before so I was really excited to see that because that's when I took pride in knowing like this black woman rose up in the ranks put on all these TV shows that white people consume in mass and then she gave you a head wrap in, on her next show and I that that's one thing that I really like that was really sad about it's so true like even with like scandal and everything oh and i was sad that it's ended because it could have been on for more because i was just like starting to get into the show and but even with that you know i love the fact that she started she kind of created so many careers for a lot of you know black actresses that Mm -hmm. you know haven't been able to get a lot you know very far in their career you know and sad because of you know the makeup or maybe they were just you know a lot of white actresses they kind of you know pushed forward and and even with Viola Davis was like phenomenal mm-hmm. and you know I was so upset that she didn't get like that Oscar for the help like <laughs> I'm sensitive the about the help though <laughs> I'm real sensitive about the help it was like that was tough you know movie to watch it is you know, and, and I read the book and the book is much better and actually tells the story the, the book has a mixed race storyline right smack dab in the middle of it and they changed that up inside the movie so bad that I almost walked out and I never walk out of a movie oh my gosh so it's a totally different thing it like the is. book I didn't even read the book I have to like start you know because it's like a different you know it is format you, you have to have like a different mindset too because I was so excited I had read the help yeah. and I knew it was written by a white woman but I knew that it was kind of like loosely based off of experiences she had and mm-hmm. so the like the maid that she had grown up up with had had a light complected daughter um, mm. and and so that daughter would come in and out and play with the kids and and so the the main white character you know was familiar with them and everything like that but there's this huge scene in the center of the book that is a that involves that light skin, the white passing daughter talking to a room full of white women without them knowing. And so oh and it's the mother of the main white character. And I don't remember Skeeter or whatever her name was. I don't remember her name anymore. Um, but the mother of her flips the fuck out and snatches that that white passing girl out of there. And then it basically splits up the family. It puts the the maid in a position of having to choose to stay with the family or not um or stay with her child or not so they end up sending the daughter away and so as a mixed girl i was like you know i'm not a biracial girl but i i definitely tend to um feel more understanding where it comes to like the the black mix or the passing or that kind of storyline speaks to me a lot so i was ready to see that on the big screen i was like this is my scene this is something that will speak to me and then i see i watch the movie and i remember coming out of the movie and sitting in my car in the parking lot and it rained and I'm just sitting in the car 
looking at my phone, trying to decide if I was going to like Facebook rant. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's crazy. That would have been such a good part of the story. It was, to yes, it was so significant. Like, oh. And in this case, they just kind of like, they made it that they made the da- the daughter dark and she walks yeah. in and she's, she's being all hoity-toity. And so they, they tell a totally different story. So when wow. the, the woman is um, sort of like polite to her versus outright bigoted and then does mm-hmm. her thing in private, I was so angry because it, it, it just, it just whitewashed. It just softened, um, you know, this like significant part of that story. And I, I was surprised that even the author would have allowed, like she wouldn't have fought harder for it. I mean, but I know how this stuff goes. You sign your rights over and everything like that. But um, that would have made me really mad if that was my work that they yeah. had changed. So I tend to be sensitive about it, even though I love uh, Viola and Octavia. And I was excited to see like mature black women headlining a movie and everything like that. I was still like, but if you read that book. (laughs) (laughs) I would have have been a good tie into the story too. They should have stayed true to it too. Mm -hmm. That's like somebody else's story. They're, you know, putting up there, you know. Like you already sign up for knowing that you're about to watch a racially charged story. We're talking about the black women that raised the white children of the South during the 50s and 60s. Like you already are expecting it to be uncomfortable for white people. Um, And to just like, well, we don't want to make it all the way uncomfortable. You know, that's where I just kind of like, I can get really sensitive about it. I want to be supportive of those two women, but I have a really hard time of being supportive of that film in particular. You know, I feel like, you know, the same way, well, I shouldn't say, you know, the same way, but I never read that book, but it was like, you know, how I felt with like 12 Years of Slave. I still haven't seen that movie because I can't see just with the black people getting tortured. And like, and I remember, you know, meeting some of the actors, you know, just my, you know, friends that watched the movie. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go see like 12 Years Slave, such a creep film. Which is like so, like, you know, wow, this is great. And I'm like, I feel so bad because, like, it's part of like our culture, you know, just seeing that side of history is just like, you know, it's hard to watch, you know, it's, but it, yeah. it, it happened. It it's, did happen, you know. It's hard it's to true. know that any period piece that exists for us, <laughs> if it's more than 150 years old, is going to be slavery based. Like, there's not, yeah. I'm sure there's stories out there of, you know, triumphant and successful, you know, black people, but we just don't get those stories as much as we get the slave stories and especially because at the time that like 12 years a slave came out there was also i guess off the heels of that was birth of a nation which um that's a whole another thing like i would say that 12 years a slave was was created with sort of a thoughtful lens and you know like uh, the racism while really painful to watch is is probably far more realistic and da 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 whereas birth of a nation unfortunately had the the whole build-up from sundance and then the smackdown because of nate parker's uh history and everything like that but because like it forced us to have to side with that movie and be like you know they ostracized nate parker for something he was acquitted of but here they have casey affleck is getting an oscar for some shit and and he's you know he actually paid somebody off and so it made us have to side up and be like birth of a nation yes we support it but if you actually watch that movie it is terrible. <laughs> like the movie is not a good movie and it forced us to side with it just because they use racism just to smack down Nate Parker and that, but that was like back to back. That's all we have to deal with. And so either that, or we're talking about civil rights era period pieces, which are also a different type of pain and violence to watch. We don't get the, you know, running down the, the hillsides and the white cliffs of Dover and all that kind of stuff of, 
of older England, you know, beauty type stuff. We're never going to get that. Um, so it's, it's yeah, it's it's tough when we're trying to figure out what sort of stories we want to tell, because we really can only tell modern stories if we don't want to if we don't want to invoke any of the pain um, of the past. True. All right. But yeah, so we were going kind of into the whole um, the, the climate has sort of kind of shifted the projects to sort of all be like this. But what what I guess what got you started wanting to to be a filmmaker? That's a good question. Um, I would say like, I shouldn't say failure. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I went to, you know, I went to college. I went for animation and visual effects and, um, in San Francisco and um, at the Academy of Art University out there. And, um, and I wanted to go into like animation and like, you know, I want to be an animator, you know, or Pixar. Mm-hmm. And I kind of just realized that, you know, there's not much money into it. <laughs> and, you know, especially mm-hmm. with animators, they pay them like less than your salary never goes up. It's like, they, they kind of just warned us that. Oh, really? And, you know, as students, you know, they were saying that, you know, because there's so many animators and now they're getting um, animators from like, you know, different areas in India, all these different places, mm-hmm. and they pay them very little to, to work on all these different movies that you see right now. Um, and um, yeah, so, you know, kind of, I still want, you know, love, you know, art and everything, but um, I've always you know, loved filmmaking, you know, ever since growing up, you know, my mother was so, uh, I think, influential because, um, you know, she loved watching like soap operas, shows like Heart to Heart, all these different, my brother was named after uh, Jonathan Hart from Heart to Heart. I was named after Danielle from, you know, As the World Turns, Meg Ryan's Baby. Like, you know, because she was so like, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it's an emotional thing, but hooked to like Aaron Spelling and all these different, you know, producers that really catered towards, um, you know, uh, romance or drama you know type series that were just phenomenal mm-hmm. and um and you know just the way of storytelling especially for um you know soap operas how you can be able to create a project and have it last for like 40 years of like the same different storylines happening new characters mm-hmm. coming in replacements and stuff and still people can you know watch it is just phenomenal and you know so i was like so inspired by that that you know i always loved to do it but i was scared about doing it and i started taking classes like an elective um for like intro to filmmaking Mm-hmm. And one of my professors there was like, oh, damn, you know, you should, you know, definitely look into, you know, taking classes after you graduate, you know, maybe going back to filmmaking or, you know, being a master's or something. And I was like, really? I'm like, you know, I think so. I'm like, do you think I'd be able to do it? Because there wasn't that many, you know, female, you know, filmmakers or producers really that you've heard of. It was always men in the yeah. forefront of filmmaking. And um, this is before Sean Rhymes, all these different people. So, um, so I, you know, when I went back from the academy and went back home, and everything and I started taking classes at um, at City College of New York and um, I did a web show called On the Scene and so I started doing this like small you know project with my little camcorder I bought for like $200 <laughs> and I went to you know all these underground places in Brooklyn you know and this is back in like Occupy Wall Street where the places in you know and especially Williamsburg were never close to what is now with Starbucks in the corner and beautiful and everything like it was yeah. kind of deserted and a lot of kids though from the colleges used to go because you know it was just a very depressing time you know at that time and um the music was just so you know awesome and i interviewed a whole bunch of uh, artists and it branched off to the uk and the the web show became very popular and having a following Mm -hmm. and um and then so what ended up happening was um uh, you know i was taking classes at the time but you know i ended up interviewing like ian axel great big world now he's like this big top 
you know, person. He was like a student at NYU. When I interviewed mm. him, there was Chad, you know, who was his manager. So he <laughs> he wasn't his sidekick singer. Um, so, um, yeah. And, and then the other lady, uh, Rachel Plackton, who became this big success, you know, singer um, for doing the promotion for Hillary um, for the fight song. And so she, you know, I remember sitting at her apartment. She was, uh, you know, a music teacher. She had a, a student and I was waiting outside and uh, she played me some of her music and I started <laughs> recording it. And like, this is the person right before she ended up being signed. I remember in my car listening to her song on the radio and I was mm. like, this is the beginning of what I was doing. And then I was like, huh. then I was like, um, you know, I started uh, my own production company. I left school and I started my own production company, Peel Entertainment at LLC. And I just took a gamble and started developing the series called Brooklyn is in Love. And it was really influenced from all the music and the bands that I, I you know, went to do and interview mm-hmm. to influence this show about young, you know, late 20s, um, you know, early 30s, some things that, you know, are living in Brooklyn, trying to find love. And and during this whole kind of everything that's going on in their lives. And so um, I know, you know, now there's like so many shows like that, you know, Brooklyn. But when I started it, there's like kind of not many or, you know, shows that kind of catered towards that, you know, demographic. And um, so, yeah, this yeah. is kind of how I started. <laughs> it's a long story. <laughs> Did um, the Brooklyn and Love, I mean, I remember you saying something about Brooklyn and Love. You got a little bit of criticism because it wasn't super diverse at the mm-hmm. time or whatever. Mm-hmm. But did that make you start to think about diversity in your work or was that just oh, accidental? Yeah, oh, definitely. You know, especially as filmmakers, we always take, you know, either criticism or anything like that to help us, you know, get better, I think, you know, because you always have to look at the audience, the people that are watching your show that you don't see, you know, things in a certain way, but, you know, they might take things, you know, um, from what they're watching too. And so, um, and it's good, you know, it's good to have criticism because it kind of makes you stronger and it makes you better, a better filmmaker, um, you know, to try harder, for, you know, for the next thing. And you always want to have like everyone's voices to be heard, you know, especially, you know, that's what I try to strive for in filmmaking and everything. And even with Brooklyn is Love, it was kind of like, like, you know, wasn't so much the diversity, but I remember um, there was even criticism in terms of, uh, you know, the, the LGBT storyline, especially with Brian, um, the gay character in the series. And mm-hmm. I remember somebody messaging me and, and a friend of mine, I used to share his, all his information or his, um, you know, film projects and stuff. And he would be like, oh, you know, Daniel, I can't really share that, you know, because of the subject matter and, you know, what's mm. in the show. Yeah. And people, and this is like before, you know, the gay marriage and everything so people were very like a little skeptical because they saw a black uh you know gay character you know in the series playing a male prostitute <laughs> that was yeah. a student at school in new york and then being with these two girls you know that they're, they're his best friends and and showing that dynamic because you know what we you know imagine and we see on television um you watch law and order and all these different things in our culture we kind of don't show that di- I think to me mm-hmm. that type of diversity of a black guy and a white person, you know, white person to white characters and they're like best of friends. Like mm-hmm. that does happen, you know, and also without yeah. it seeming like tokenism or yeah, feeling right. very false because it, it didn't, you know, no one yeah. knows how to make black people and white people be friends. On right. TV. So and like, and a sad thing is like, there was other characters in the show, you know, um, there was also a Nadia, um, Serena's that was also like a very big, po- uh, very big, um, you know, character in the series she was in the main cast pose and everything like that everybody kind of like this you know forgotten about and she was from you know um 
Argentina and you know she was like you know big influence there and there also was um, DJ Rodney who's his roommate um, Kevin's roommate and he had a like a radio show and he was kind of the influence of like everybody listening to his radio show he was like a popular person in Brooklyn and um, and he was like kind of like Kevin's like mentor his best friend and um, talking about Diane and everything so um, it's sad because like a lot of people were like oh you know there was not much of that diversity but um, you know the next season you know we definitely I made that kind of like a big uh, influence and we had a lot of black characters there was an interracial couple especially with Diane and um, the architect Isaac and um, and, and you saw um, also um, Amy that ends up coming back the character played by Nadia um, she ends up being a love interest with Charlie and so it was just like I kind of raised the bar in terms of that and kind of you know really um, gotten you know especially giving other opportunities especially for a lot of the demographic and the actors out there you know to be a part of something um, but yeah did you feel because you got that criticism and kind of responded to it? Did you feel that your work wasn't um, yours or was it just something that kind of brought it to your attention? Like, oh, yeah, I probably did this because all of my TV shows me white faces anyway. And so that's why I kind of wrote for white people. Yeah, I guess like, you know, it, you know, whenever as writers, we write based on what we're, you know, basically exposed to, I think, or write to things that mm-hmm. we're used to. And I think like, you know, during that time, um, you know, even though I went to San Francisco and everything like that, you know, and I got even more diverse, you know, in terms of like meeting people from mm-hmm. different areas, Hawaii and everything, um, you know, it does, you know, have an effect, you know, to you and, and how you write and everything. To me, it's like I just didn't even see color or that type of influence or that being <laughs> like, you know, because of what films and projects I, I watched. Yeah. Um, you know, but I was like, you know, it, it, it's, you know, diversity is important. And um, and I always want to strive to that. And I've always had that, you know, um, in my mind and everything from Brooklyn is Love the first season, you know, even before that with uh, on the scene series, you know, mm-hmm. it was always a diverse in terms of musicians that I interviewed. There was black musicians and uh, oh, my God, there's Asian musician especially with um the paper raincoat he was a music producer um uh, vienna tang uh, uh, other um very you know popular musician um yeah it's like i kind of just try my best to kind of always have an influence of diversity you know i feel like you know in terms of diversity it can go both ways it can be like having a diverse in terms of crew of people that are behind the scenes creating this whole project you can have like a whole black you know crew and you're making white characters and you're acting and mm-hmm. to me i think that's you know just as enough strength in a project and, and enough influence and I think that should be you know praised the same way you know to, to me but sometimes it's like kind of goes off the wrong way yeah in terms of that you know especially a person of color and you're, you're creating this project and you're you know having you know white actors and you're working to them and you're the one calling the shots and telling them how this is what you want you know for your project it's like it's to me I think it's amazing you know at the same time yeah because how many years ago that never happened you know before it used to be like black characters with the white faces or whatever, you know, kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, having to cater towards, you know, white producers and people kind of showing them in like a, such a negative, you know, way. And like how many years ago? And then now it's like, oh, now you have a black director and a person, you know, doing this and but showing a positive light in, in a lot of the projects that you're putting forward, you know, I think is, is mm-hmm. you know, it's great. I don't know. 
Yeah. Let's go ahead and, and jump over to now complexity. So how you and I connected is I posted on a Facebook group that is sort of like people of color in, in yeah. entertainment um, and you you responded to it. Um, and from there, we kind of had our initial e- you know back and forth email chat. But then I started to Facebook stalk you because I wanted to know who I was talking to. And I saw <laughs> I saw your post about complexity. I, I mean, I saw a couple of your projects, but complexity was the one that I sort of zeroed in on because colorism is obviously something that's going to come up from time to time on this particular podcast since we're dealing with mixed race. Um, but it's also something that has been kind of on my mind a lot lately, mm-hmm. just uh, in two kinds of ways. Um, one in that in in my issue of not presenting as black as I am, you know, and and then also uh, seeing things like uh, the things that frustrate me, like you have an uh, a black family cast in a white show and it'll be like the parents are both dark or both light and then all of the children are the opposite or that there's not like multiple shades of fa- you know family members things like that always kind of bothered me or just like making any of the darker people whether they were east indian or black or hispanic or latin or asian that the darker ones were always in service of something and the lighter ones were usually the ones that could that could like pull off being richer or more affluent or whatever um so that kind of stuff has you know been on my mind a lot lately so i zeroed in on it when i saw it on your page and and then you and i finally got to talk and then i also from you got connected to melissa so tell me first like how you found out about the project how you got involved yeah how you you feel about color i was actually yeah i was actually um connected to melissa probably for like the past year and like we were both connected and we you know you know we would im each other like now now and then but you know she would always say like you know she's working on this project and it was like going on for a couple months or more um i didn't know the subject or anything like that about it but i saw a post in the poc and media or uh, media group uh it's who you know uh poc and media and i saw the post and i was like wow you know she's like looking for a producer um for this project complexity and but i remember she reaching she was reaching me about doing like a dt position or something and i reached out to her i said wow you're doing this like you're looking for a producer i'd love to be a, a part of it you know and she's like really i'm like yeah I'm like definitely you know when you need like help or assistance whatever and um and so while she started kind of developing it um and then she reached out to me and she's like you know you know uh, would you like to have a cup of coffee or you know to meet up um you know i'm interviewing other producers and stuff and um i really got you know, talking and um, really hit it off. And I loved what she was putting forward to the forefront. Really, I thought it was very inspiring, especially for, um, you know, the younger generation, young girls that feel the same way and feeling kind of like left out. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, colorism, is not just with the, you know, Latino community and Latinx uh, community, but also Asian. And it's also an Indian and everywhere, you know, um, women mostly that feeling this kind of void and mm-hmm. uh, discrimination, you know, and, but yeah, and I was like, wow, you know, I'd love to be a part of it. You know, it was like whenever there's something that, you know, and you're right, like touches on a subject that may be a little bit uncomfortable or just having that type of feeling of anything, you know, really just moving. You know, I always gravitate to and I'm like, I have to be a part of that you know, project in some way as a producer at level to support it. And um, and I love what she's you know putting together for this. And she really we also just hired another producer, uh, Crystal Roman uh, from Black Latina Movement. Um, she's 
amazing. And I worked with her uh, for Cecilia the Solvent. This was actually a short film. I was the AD on a couple of months back. And um, it was a great production, really great crew and everything. And she reached out to me, um, you know, Melissa and said, I'm looking for another producer. And I said, definitely go with Crystal. And I got her in contact. Mm. I'm like, she has her own company. Kate, it's Black Latina Movement. Really, everything that she's like striving for. And she's been talking about colorism for like the past like 10 to 17 years or more, which what mm. you know, her whole focus was to kind of show young girls and, and girls growing up that, you know, your voices are being heard in our stories and, and our films. And that's kind of something that she's been always striving towards. And um, so like, yeah, even when I was working with her, I had such a blast. And, and she even reached out to me about directing her next project for it's like a TV show or TV series. Mm. So, um, awesome. yeah, so it kind of just, kind of like worked out in that way. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, just, just how she was kind of putting it forward. She had a, um, you know, just like, you know, a total foundation before even stepping up to going, doing Seed and Spark. You know, she really knew what she wanted to do and, um, and how to kind of put it, you know, that whole production forward with that and the push for the fundraiser. And I thought that was amazing. Somebody having that drive, you know, I'll just, you know, hang in there with her and really promote it every step of the way. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about the, the project. Um, I know I, so actually before the day before that we actually got to speak for the first time, you and I, I had looked on the Seed and Spark page and I watched the video and everything. Um, and I was like, oh, I've got to, the, these people I have to talk to. So I was, I, I was really excited about it. The, I mean, colorism, it's something that is, it's so surprisingly only our issue, even though, <laughs> I mean, even though it is something that is, that was kind of done to us um, by, if not white people or the lighter skin kind of thing being, you know, they've, they've told us lighter is better. And so now we are reacting accordingly. Um, I still think that it is, it comes as a surprise sometimes to, to white people or lighter skin people when you have to bring up like, Hey, you know, a dark skinned person isn't lesser in some way, or, uh, you shouldn't just always cast the light skinned person as the black representative, um, for the show, because, you know, there's a lot of different ones of us. And I say that even coming from a light skin perspective. Um, so it, it is something that seems very personal to me and I, I don't know how to tell my version of it beyond doing something like this, talking to you and talking to Melissa and, and other people of mixed race and just saying, you know, how did you feel growing up light skin or lighter skin? How did you feel when people would tell you you had the good hair or they would try to touch your hair? You know, things like that. Like mm-hmm. this is my the way that I can kind of get out that colorism is a real problem in our community, um, both that we do it to ourselves and that it gets done to us. Um, so the more that we talk about it, the more it raise awareness and hopefully we start to see a shift in our culture. Yeah. And even like I, I, there's a music video that somebody remade for like, this is America. And um, oh, was, yes. Yeah. I got so upset. when I, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I've never seen it on Facebook. And then I saw all these like comments and like, you know, everybody was like criticizing. And it's true. It's like, you know, you're talking about like women, you know, rights and everything. That's a great thing, you know, but I feel like, you know, even with that, like I, I just had a podcast earlier today and that was a similar question he was mentioning about, you know, um, you know, in terms of that, like, you know, we're talking about equality and with women in film. And do you notice that there is, you know, is there kind of a divide? And, I, you know, I spoke up about it. I said that, you know, I do notice that there are, you know, great female, you know, directors that are white, but it seems like they're not 
pushing also POC and people of color crew members mm-hmm. on their you know, production team. And they have a big budget. A lot of them, they have like $30,000, $50,000. And, yeah. and they're able to get these resources and they're not including, you know, people of color part of it or even at the forefront. And it's like, you know, something has to happen. Like this is awesome women in film, but like we also have to include everybody, you know, yeah. in that and, and have that type of, and, and not just to have all female, you know, I think it's awesome, but I think that's, you know, if, if uh, female producers are at the forefront and directors, mm-hmm. and, you know, I think it should be equal and having like half, you know, half, um, you know, male and half female and, mm-hmm. you know, having it inclusion so that way they can learn from that men and can see that, oh, wow, there's like a female D- uh, DP, there's a female, you know, mm-hmm. uh, sound person and I can actually work with them and it's like the same as a guy, you know? Right. Wow, okay. So I want to like continue on this journey, you know, with them. I think that's like a, a powerful, you know, movement. Um, that's an know. interesting point because I've been a part of a few all-female crews before, pro- you know, a couple projects and, and you feel kind of good when you're doing it, you know, you're like, yeah, you know, female, 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 but they've also been, you know, white driven and, and look at what we say in our language. We say, you know, we need to be more diverse and more inclusive. There's women and people of color, you know, so who are the women then? Are they just white women? Well, we have to assume that because they tend to be in the forefront and we have to assume it because you'll hear things like women and women of color, women and people of color. Like, so they always make sure that the of color is separate, you know, first and, and this is the way our culture goes, right? You know, even though technically black men had the vote before white women, black mm-hmm. men weren't allowed to vote and, and white women who were who were um, fighting for the vote were actually fighting against the black vote mm-hmm. at the same time. They're fighting mm-hmm. for the white woman vote and not the black vote. Mm-hmm. They finally get the vote and, and then it's years and years and years later that we're starting to see, okay, now finally black people can vote without being attacked on, on their way to the polls or, you know, it it's it's not outside of even in our in our lifetime that people are being attacked for trying to do that so our culture does this you know now right now it's let's be more inclusive let's get women producers and directors and writers and da 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 and it's like oh yeah also don't forget those people of color over there let's you know bring them in too so it's it's one of those things like we need white people to to help us do this right mm-hmm. you know white- like, like even like cecile tyson she mentioned a quote that said that you know it's like white man you know um he was like um white man black man i think or white you know yeah white man black man uh white woman black woman like black woman is like at the bottom yeah <laughs> in terms of like the media and like you know pr- production and stuff it's, it's so true yeah. And it's yeah. like, and what would be the problem in doing it at the same time? Like, why, why can't the, you know, but then, but then it's also, how do we identify? Because when I really think about it, I think of myself as black before I think of myself as, as a woman. <laughs> I, I honestly, I kind of think of myself as sort of black and then mixed and then a woman and then a bisexual. Like I, I keep going down the list until I start mm-hmm. to really, you know, I pulled my, the sum of who I am. So comes up at the end, but it's still mm-hmm. hierarchical. So I'm far more passionate about issues as they relate to black people than I am as issues that relate to the other races that and ethnicities that I'm made up of. And then I'm far more uh, passionate about those than I am about gender issues, you know, and then so on and so forth. So I well, I would say that probably being on the LGBT spectrum and woman is kind of even for me. But black comes first. Mm -hmm. But not everybody's like that. Some people would put their gender ahead of their race and things like that. So I guess it also depends 
depends on who's in the fight. <laughs> yeah, they're, like they're even talking about now, like so, like kind of sudden, you know, a sudden way, um, you know, even with uh, Pride Month and everything like that, they're also talking about um, that. Oh yeah, they talked about seventy uh, percent or seventy-seven percent. I shared it like on Facebook um, of characters uh, in terms of like LGBT or white characters, mm-hmm. and they said that only like you know small percentage is you know all different races that you know POC, and it's like you really have to change this, you know, mm-hmm. and. America, it's like it's still gone, it's still whitewashed in a way mm-hmm. in terms of all you know that type of thing. And like for you watch television and shows and stuff like that, but you don't. The only show that I've seen, I still have to watch the first episode is uh, Pose. I think it's Pose. I haven't started oh. seeing it yet, but I, I because I kind of want to binge it. I think I'm gonna want to binge it, so I'm, I haven't started watching it yet for that reason. But yeah, it's like yeah, I'm. Uh, it's so funny because I'm I'm excited about these type of things. But here's a, here's the other part of it is wherever inclusion and diversity is absent, it forces me to not only consume, but enjoy stuff Mm -hmm. that's subpar. So Mm -hmm. I remember like on the... I don't remember what the gay network on cable was called or is called, but years ago, back when I had it, had the channel, there was this really terrible all black male cast, like gay male cast show. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Um, oh, my God. It's going to come to me. I but don't remember like, what it was called. I popular. Right. Um, but I remember thinking, yeah. this is terrible. But I, like I Noah's, watched it Noah's nonstop. It was, it was like Noah's Ark, I think. Noah's yes. Ark, no? Yes. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And I remember like half loving it and half hating it. And I loved it because I was seeing like, gay men of color like okay awesome um but at the same time some of it was so just you know if not always well acted sometimes it was pretty Mm -hmm. campy which you can kind of excuse campiness because the culture and things like that but i was just sitting here going like this is all i have so i'm gonna go ahead and consume it but i know this is not the best thing in the world (laughs) um it's so funny like it does it forces you to watch watch kind of like the not the best things just because it's available um because we need it in some kind of way um, and even like when you see like Moonlight and that was kind of, you know, the LGBT, you know, film and stuff like mm-hmm. that. It was beautifully made and they talk about black culture and like, you know, LGBT, you know, characters and, you know, and like just about his life kind of an outcome of age, you know, type story or theme. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was beautifully done, you know, and how he put it together. But it's so true. It's like they don't, ne- you know, I'm hoping that there is a show and that's kind of like what we're trying to do for Jada the New York Effect. It's like has that same diversity, black characters, uh, you know, um, you know, Latino characters and stuff that are you know at the forefront and mm. and really changing it it's not you know um just going on stereotypes and stuff like that that's you know horrible you know like how i loved ugly betty i love that show so much and it's like and it, but it, they kind of made fun of like culture you know in like um mm-hmm. yeah like the mexican or you know community and stuff and the like sort of telenovela you know, style right yeah, and like made her, you know, but later on it started you really popular and everything and America Ferrera, she, you know, it's awesome and um but yeah, it's like, you know, but with Jaded it's kinda of shows um, you know, this person from uh PR that comes up to New York and it's a love story, you know, that's really good and even talks about his family, his his father, his relationship with his father. And I think it touches on a lot of different, you know, um subjects that I think, you know, people can relate to and um in a in a good way, I think. Okay. Um I do think that we, we hit a good amount of time. We, we yeah. did pretty well. We didn't go. We didn't go too far off track. I think, um, which is probably pretty successful for both of us. I know we're talkers. It's <laughs> um, such a good, like, it's such a good topic that like it go on for hours, right? Too. And like, all these different stuff we can talk about. It's that's what I say. Like, I don't. I hope that these aren't one and done interviews or anything like that because <laughs> not only do I feel like I'm, uh, you know, I'm getting an opportunity to connect with all these amazing mixed people doing all this amazing stuff and and being able to say like, look, we can do this, we can do that. Um, selfishly, for me, it's like I. 
I'm growing my family. Like I, besides the mixed cousins and, you know, my sibling and stuff like that, um, I, my world is very monoracial. I live in a fairly white area, maybe kind of a little bit Asian. My husband, although half white, half Palestinian, grew up white. So he thinks and behaves kind of white. I don't get, you know, like I don't get a whole lot of exposure to a lot of people that are like me. Um, so this is kind of my way of extending that. And I, I talked to someone like you or some of the other people I've talked to. And I was just like, you know, I feel like I'm going to be connected to, to you for life in some capacity, whether it's you continuing to come back every time you have a project or anytime you just got an issue and you, you you know, an itch you need to scratch conversationally um, or just now we know each other, <laughs> you know, and I think that's an amazing thing. And hopefully Militantly Mix is not only just a podcast, but becomes somewhat of a, a movement in terms of uniting mixed people and and celebrating both our diversity internally, but externally as as mixed people across the world. Right. It's amazing. And I love what you're doing and like, you know, just the topics and everything like that. So I'm like definitely going to, you know, I want to uh, pull more people in, filmmakers and stuff and, you know, to get the conversation, you know, going yeah. and, you know, for the yeah. show. Awesome. Yeah. Maybe we can do like a panel thing um, with a, yeah. a number of filmmakers or something down the road. That would be great. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, well, before we go, do you have any kind of parting thoughts, something you really want to get out there? Do you want to plug some social media stuff? Tell us oh, how yeah. to find you. Oh, yeah. Um, I would say, um, oh, yeah, so in terms of like social media, um, I have to update my website. But on PL Entertainment, you can usually go on www.plentertainment.com. Uh, you can see all the projects and stuff that I'm working on. And um, if you have Instagram, you can uh, follow me. It's uh, DE227 on Instagram. And also I'm on Facebook, so you can always message me. I'm always, um, pretty much with all the projects, I'm always on social media trying to like promote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Is DE227 having to do with the show 227? Or DE, your yeah. initials? In the t- <laughs> uh, you know, I usually just do it so I can remember because of my old age and like, you know, my memory <laughs> in, in terms of that. So like everything has to be like the 227 or like you know that type of thing that's funny that's cute uh all right well thank you so much for joining me i appreciate that you know we've worked around our busy schedules to kind of reconnect i know it's been a few weeks since we talked last thank you for connecting me to melissa and exposing me to complexity uh series i'm really excited and i i want to be connected to that project every step of the way however i can from my little couch in la um to be a support to you and um and thank you thanks for coming oh, thank you so much thank you so much for having me on the program yeah it's great. all right <laughs> Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Johnson. Music is by David Bogan, The One. And if you like what you heard on Militantly Mix, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.